Okay, so we are continuing in our series in the good, the bad, and the unlikely, a series on judges. And this week we are looking at a strange and interesting passage. We're looking at Judges chapter 9. And this is a passage that tells us about the first recorded Israelite king. And I'm sure many of you are as shocked as I am to find that out. (laughs) But that's what it is. So we're not looking at a judge, but we're looking at a king. And I'm also going to get straight into reading from the passage as our introduction. So if you can turn to Judges 9, and we're going to read 1 to 6 together. And that's 252 in your pew Bibles. Abimelech, son of Jerob Baal, so Jerob Baal is Gideon, went to his mother's brothers, so his uncles, in Shechem, and said to them and to all his mother's clan, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all seventy of Jeroboam's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers, his uncles, repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, They were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. They gave him 70 shackles of silver from the temple of Baal Bereth, which means Lord of the Covenant, but not God, a Baal, one of the Baals. And Abimelech used this money to hire reckless adventurers, basically mercenaries, who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerob Baal. And I think that the implication here is that he sacrificed them. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerob Baal, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. So quite an introduction. Um, before we start um, or go any further, I'd like us to rewind a bit and figure out what's happening here and what has led us to this point. Judges chapter 9 is not a chapter that stands on its own, but it's inextricably linked with the three chapters preceding it. Chapters 6, 7 and 8. And if you've been here over the past couple of weeks, you will know that chapters 6 to 8 give us the story of Gideon. In this chapter, chapter 9, Gideon is referred to as Jerob Baal, a name that Gideon receives in chapter 6. And he receives this name because what he's done is he's gone and he's destroyed his father's altar to Baal and he's destroyed the Asherah pole and um, the people weren't too chuffed with this, so they decide they're going to come out and kill him. But Gideon's father defends him and says, um, basically, look, if, if Baal is a true god, he can defend himself, um, don't kill him. And so the people accept this and they give him the name Jerob Baal, which means let Baal contend. And we find, as we go through Gideon's life, that Baal cannot contend. Um, 
In Judges chapter 8, verse 32, we're told that Gideon lives to a ripe old age. And in Judges chapter 8, verse 20 years, we get the suggestion that he reigned for 40 years. And um, that the land was at peace during that time. So we see that Baal could not contend. We will find, however, that as we go through this passage, that um, our God, Yahweh, can contend and that Abimelech's rule is very short-lived. And I think that the fact that they call Gideon Jeroboam throughout this chapter, instead of calling him Gideon, just highlights the fact that Abimelech is not following in his father's footsteps. He's going a different direction. So you may ask the question, why is that? Why isn't Gideon following his father Gideon? Uh, Why isn't Abimelech following his father Gideon? How come he ended up going off the tracks? Roy helpfully uh, alluded to this last week, and as as Roy took us through Gideon, um, he took us through chapter 6, 7, and 8 under three titles. Chapter 6 was Gideon's fear. Chapter 7, Gideon's faith. Chapter 8 was Gideon's folly. Most of us are aware of the first two titles. We we have that pinned down. We've heard those stories often. So we know the story of Gideon fearing and so testing God by putting out a fleece in order to find out whether it is actually God speaking to him. And we know the stories of Gideon's faith where he allows God to whittle down his army to just 300 men in order to attack the Midianites whose even the camels can't be numbered. And so we see a great faith there. But like, well, if you're anything like me, you're, you'll be unaware of how Gideon tended to mess up a bit at the end of his life. Gideon's folly. At the end of chapter 8, uh, we have the story of Gideon building, uh, they call it an ephod. And this ephod, which is usually a priestly garment, so I'm not sure what this was, but it was made out of gold and people came and worshipped it. So it became an idol, whatever it was. And although Gideon said some of the right words sometimes, maybe he didn't back them up. In verses 22 to 24, um, we, we see Gideon refusing the Israelites' offer to become a king. Um, but though he says these right words and he refuses the offer to become a king, the hint is that he starts to live a bit like a king. Gideon took uh, many wives, or at least I'm assuming he did, because he had 70 children. And at least, uh, he had at least one concubine that we know of, so he took many wives. But even the fact that Gideon called this child of his concubine Abimelech highlights the fact that he maybe had started to think of himself as a king. Abimelech, uh, when translated, means my father, the king. Ab is father, Abi, my father, Melech is king. So Abimelech is my father, the king. So that would be one way of maybe translating, well, one, he might possibly have been thinking of himself as a king by the time he had Abimelech. It also seems from the beginning of chapter 9 that we've just read that the only choice that these people in Shechem had was either for Gideon's 70 sons to rule over them or for Gideon's one son uh, to rule over them. And either way, this didn't match up with what Gideon had said in verse 23, where he said, I will not rule over you, nor will my sons rule over you, 
but the Lord will rule over you. So something's gone wrong. Um, either the people have not listened to Gideon when he said this, or else Gideon and his family have started to take more power than they said they would. And I think maybe the latter is likely. Um, let's continue reading. We will read from verse 7 to 21. When Jotham was told about this, so Jotham, remember, is Gideon's youngest son who'd run away, and when he's told about Abimelech being crowned king in, in Shechem, what he does is he climbs up on top of Mount Gerizim and he shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil, by which both gods and men are honored, to hold sway over the trees? Next the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit, so good and sweet, to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and men, to hold sway over the trees? Finally the tree said to the thorn bush, Come and be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now if you have acted honorably and in good faith when you made Abimelech king, and if you have been fair to Jerob Baal and his family, and if you have treated him as he deserves, and to think that my father thought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian, but today you have revolted against my father's family and murdered his seventy sons on a single stone and made Abimelech, the son of his slave girl, king over the citizens of Shechem because he is your brother. If then you have acted honorably and in good faith towards Jeroboam and his family today, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out of Abimelech and consume you, citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out of you, citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. We only tend to associate parables with the New Testament, with Jesus' teaching and the Gospels. Well, at least I do. But we do find a number of parables in the Old Testament, and this is maybe one of the first I haven't checked. (laughs) And I wasn't really sure where to go with it, and I was just tempted, because it's a long chapter, to skip past the parable and move on to the story. Um, But I think that this would have been a mistake, as I believe that the parable is actually central to the story, not just to the story of this chapter, but also to the story of Judges. Judges are all about leadership. And this parable gives us a chance to reflect on how we choose leaders. You'll notice that when the trees wanted to choose a leader, they started by looking at trees that seemed to be good at what they did, trees that were productive. The olive tree produced oil which honored gods and men, and so they went to him, and he refused because he actually thought, well, I don't want to be a leader because I'm doing the job that I was made to do. 
And the same happened with the fig tree and the grapevine. They were happy with the jobs that they had and they refused to become leaders of the trees. Maybe they didn't think it was their role. But this can often be the case when we try to choose people to do jobs. We look for somebody who's busy and productive in one area and try to put them somewhere else. The saying is that if you want a job done, you give it to a busy person. And that's so often the case, especially in church. But in this case, the trees act wisely. They refuse to take on this leadership role. Um, they realize that they may have a gift, but maybe the gift uh, is something else other than leadership. But I also believe that Jotham would have used this parable to point out to the people of Shechem that when Gideon was offered the chance to become a king, he had refused too. Um, Jotham was pointing out that Gideon was a much more worthy king than Abimelech would ever be. And maybe he was questioning their judgment as to choosing Abimelech as their king um, and their leader. In the parable, the trees are adamant that they want a king, though. So they keep searching until they come to the thorn bush. And perhaps they go to him because they see that he is available and willing. They don't seem to consider whether or not he is fit for the job. And to highlight this, um, Jotham paints us a ridiculous picture of a thorn bush calling all of the other trees to come and rest in its shade. Now, I grew up in Africa. And this is what thorn bushes looked like. I don't know if you can see that picture very well. This was about as shady as thorn bushes got when they had flowers on them. Um, they don't have a lot of shade. It's mainly thorns, occasionally a few leaves, um, and occasionally flowers, and it's in season. But they're not very shady things, thorn bushes. And the picture got even more ridiculous when Jotham made mentions of the bushes having power over the cedars of Lebanon. Cedars were big and pretty shady trees and were often used, uh, they would have been much more worthy kings, and were often used as pictures of kings or kingdoms in the Bible. So it's a bit of a ridiculous picture having this thorn bush trying to rule over the cedars of Lebanon. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us that trees are known by their fruit. And for me, it seems obvious that if we're going to choose leaders, then we need to be uh, choosing people who show the fruit of leadership. Windsor, at the moment we're looking for a youth pastor, or a youth, well not a youth pastor, a youth worker, a youth leader. And it would seem right or wise for me if we were to choose somebody who had showed the fruit of leadership, especially to do with youth, if we're going to pick them as a leader of our youth. Somebody who has a passion for youth. Somebody who has the ability to bring other leaders along with them. And from the other point of view, if somebody was looking to be a youth leader, or a leader of any sort in the church, I'd like to suggest that um, they ought to be doing a job anyway. They ought to be working in the situation that they want to lead in before pay or position comes into the equation. In many ways, in the church, we should not have to work hard to choose our leaders. Um, they should be doing the job anyway. They should be leading. 
And it's the same when it comes to us choosing elders and deacons in the church. We um, need to be looking for people who show the fruit of leadership and service before we put them into the positions of leadership and service. So in light of this, in light of the fact that we need to be choosing people by their fruit, I find it ironic that Abimelech uh, is chosen as the leader of these people because of their relationship to him. Because the only fruit that Abimelech has shown to this point has been the fact that he has no loyalty to anyone. He's just killed his half-brothers in order to become king. Abimelech is not interested in family connections. He is only interested in leading or in power. And so the question I have for us today, and I've had it up there already, is how should we choose our leaders? How do we choose our leaders? What do we look for in them? Do we choose them by busyness, availability, their relationship to us, or their fruit? And if you are the type of person who likes to go a bit deeper after hearing a sermon, or something like that, and want to look into an area in a bit more depth, Um, Can I suggest that you ask this question? What is the most common fruit shown by leaders in the Bible? I've not done this uh, to any great extent, but in the few cases I've looked at, one of the fruits that seem to stand out in almost every case that I've seen, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, has been uh, that the leader should be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a quality of leadership that's indispensable. Think about, I think it's Acts 7, where the apostles are choosing um, people to help serve um, the people under them. So it's where we get our idea of deacons from quite often. And um, they don't look for somebody with catering qualifications or with uh, experience and those sort of things, but they look for somebody full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe that's what we should be looking for as our primary uh, concern when we're choosing leaders. After giving the parable of the trees, uh, Jotham then pronounces a curse on Abimelech and on the people of Shechem and Beth Milo. And this is especially poignant because he does it from the top of Mount Gerizim. Every so often, Israel was to hear the blessings and the curses of God's law. If they were loyal, they were told they would enjoy peace, prosperity, long lives and more. But if they were disloyal, they would have nothing but war, famine and disease and exile. The curses were supposed to be pronounced from the top of a mountain called Mount Ebal. And the, curse, and the blessings were supposed to be pronounced from the top of Mount Gerizim. But things have gotten so bad in Israel that only curses, even curses are pronounced from the Mount of Blessing. Jotham's curse is a prophecy of mutual destruction and he basically tells the people that they're going to judge each other. At the moment in the morning series, we have just started a series on Galatians. And this prophecy reminds me of a verse towards the end of Galatians where it tells us that people reap what they sow. And Jotham is saying, you know, if what you've done is right, then let you have good consequences. But if you've done what isn't good, then may you reap what you sow. So let's see what happens to Abimelech and the people of Shechem. We're going to continue reading and we'll read uh, again from verse 22 to the end. I know it's a long passage, but it's a story that I don't think we know very well, so it's worth going through. (coughs) 
After Abimelech had governed Israel for three years, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem, who acted treacherously against Abimelech. So it doesn't take long for Jotham's curse to start kicking in. God did this in order that the crime against Jerobbaal's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who helped him to murder his brothers. And so we're reminded of the fact that while Baal cannot contend against Gideon, Yahweh, God, can contend against Abimelech. God sends an evil spirit between the people, and God did this in order that. Verse 25. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by, and this was reported to Abimelech. You may wonder why the people would have done that and how that would have hurt Abimelech, but I believe it would have hurt Abimelech in two ways. Um, Abimelech was the king of the area. He would have wanted trade in order to get wealthy, and people would not, merchants would not have come that way if they knew that people were going to get robbed every time they passed by. But it also would have given him a bad reputation as a king. Kings were supposed to be able to control the highways and the byways of their land. And if he couldn't do this, then he would have received a bad reputation. Verse 26. Now Gael, son of Ebed, moved with his brothers into Shechem, and its citizens put their confidence in him. So somebody new comes on the scene. After they have gone into the fields and gathered the grapes and trodden them, they held a festival in the temple of their god. While they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. So at harvest time, they had a festival, and they cursed Abimelech. Then Gael, son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should be subject to him? Isn't he Jeroboam's son? And isn't Zebul his deputy? Serve the men of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? Hamor was a Canaanite, um, and you can find him in Genesis, where he sells land to Jacob. So some commentaries suggest that um, that Shechem was probably a bit of a mix of Israelites and Canaanites, that the Israelites hadn't driven the Canaanites out of the land during Joshua, and so it was a bit mixed up, a bit like uh, Abimelech himself. Verse 29. If only this people were under my command, this is Gael speaking, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. When Zebul, the governor of the city, heard what Gael, the son of Ebed, said, he was very angry. Undercover, he sent messages to Abimelech, saying, Gael, son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then, during the night, you and your men should come and lie in wait in the fields. In the morning, at sunrise, advance against the city. When Gael and his men come out against you, do whatever your hand finds for you to do. So Abimelech and all his troops went out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. And over the next section, we have a fight between Gael and Abimelech. Uh, Gael is beaten and he's chased away from the city by Zebul. We'll continue at verse 42. The next day, the people of Shechem went out to the fields, and this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, he divided them into three companies, and he set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and his companies with him rushed forward into positions at the entrance of the city gate. So he tries to block the people from going back into the city. 
The people thought they'd be okay once Gael had left, and so they went about their life as normal, uh, but Abimelech comes and attacks them again. So two of his companies rush upon those in the fields and strike them down. All that day Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it to make sure that they didn't rebuild. So just the kind of king you want. On hearing this, the citizens in the, t- in the tower of Shechem went into strongholds, into the stronghold of the temple of Al-Bareth. That's the same as Baal-Bareth. When Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all of his men went up Mount Zalmon. He took an axe, he cut off some branches, and when he lifted them, he lifted them onto his shoulders, and he ordered the men with him, Quick, do what you have seen me do. So all of the men cut branches, and they followed Abimelech and piled them against the stronghold, and they set fire over the people inside. So the people in the tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. And this all fits in remarkably well with Jotham's prediction of mutual destruction, and even with fire coming out of the bush to destroy the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 50. Next Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all of the men and women, all the people of the city, fled. They locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower. Abimelech went to the tower and stormed it, but as he approached the entrance of the tower to set it on fire, he's trying to do the same thing, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly he called to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and kill me, so they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran him through, and he died. When all the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his seventy brothers. God also made all of the men of Shechem pay for all of their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came upon them. And so it all comes to pass, and we see that God can contend. You'll be glad to know I'm not going to spend very long on this um, as the time is going all gone already. But I'd like to point out a couple of things before we finish. I'd like to point out that although Abimelech thought he could rule by getting rid of all of his rivals to the throne, he got rid of his 70 brothers, he forgot about the one main rival, the true king of Israel, and that is God himself. Also, I didn't point this out when I was going through the parable of the trees choosing for themselves a king, but the parable actually doesn't suggest who the trees should have chosen as their king. Um, And because it didn't suggest who the trees should have chosen as their king, it made me question, well, did the trees really need a king to rule over them, or a tree to rule over them? And my feeling is that the answer to that is no. It seems ridiculous that the trees would need another tree to tell them what to do or to pay homage to a tree. It's a a funny picture. And maybe you disagree with me and you can tell me about that. But because the answer to that was no, that Jim brings up the question, do Israel need a king, a human king? And I believe the answer to that is no. Judges chapter 8 Gideon has already told us that he doesn't think so. He says, I won't rule over you, nor will my sons rule over you, but the Lord will rule over you. 
And God himself says to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8, he says, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they are rejecting as their king, but me. And Israel's true king is God himself. And therefore, when Abimelech makes himself king, he is sinning against God. When the Israelites choose a king, they sin against God. And it's really hard to know exactly how that should have worked out because so often it went wrong in Judges. Um, they seem to go astray and they need, seem to need leadership. And God gave them leaders. And so we think by the time they get kings, it's a good thing that they've got a king. But they really should have had God as their king. And maybe that's something that we need to think about. How would that look? What would it look like to have God as your king? What would it look like if Israel had actually had God as their king instead of choosing other leaders and kings? And it's quite complicated and I can't really go into detail about that, but it is an interesting area that I would like uh, to think about more. So Israel, I mean, Abimelech sinned against God by making himself a king. And this is a sin that we've been doing ever since. Or people have been doing ever since. It's probably the greatest sin of our time. We want to be kings of our lives. But we're stealing that position from God. So we've had a long passage. We've had lots to think about. Um, I'd just like to suggest again that the crux of this passage is it's all about leadership. So before I finish this evening, I'd like us to contrast the leadership style of Abimelech, the self-made king Abimelech, with the leadership style of our king, Jesus. Abimelech was a man who took the lives of his brother, his brothers, in order to become a king. Jesus was a king who gave up his life in order to create brothers. Abimelech was arrogant and ambitious. Jesus is a king who is humble and selfless. Abimelech sought revenge on his foes. Jesus forgave his enemies. Abimelech's death was caused by a woman. Jesus' resurrection was witnessed by a woman. I'm sure there's many other contrasts that you could make between Abimelech and Jesus. Um, But our time is up. So I'd just like to leave you with the questions that we've had throughout the service. How should we choose our leaders in the church? By busyness, availability, relationship, by fruit, or by some other way? What is the most common fruit shown by leaders in the Bible? We've asked the question, did the trees need the king to rule over them? And you can decide on that yourselves. Um, We've suggested that Israel didn't need a king to rule over them. Well, they should have had Jesus as their king, not a human king anyway. But the, the real question I want you to go away with today is, who or what rules in your life? Have you made God your king, or are you trying to rule 
in your life.